This episode of Win or Die is brought to you by Alamo Drafthouse. For handcrafted cocktails, chef-driven menus, and programming ranging from the classics to the latest Marvel action, all with zero talking or texting interruptions, there's only one place to go. Alamo Drafthouse, the best film, food, and drink, all in one seat. For movies and showtimes, visit drafthouse.com. Davos is there, still alive. Yes, uh, that dude <laughs> is going to end up on Iron I know Brown. where I want to be in a battle. I want to be next to Davos. Next to Davos. He's got yeah. some invisible force field around him. If you look up Luck of the Irish, you see a picture of that dude. Yeah. My name is Joe Gross. I am the film and culture critic for the Austin American Statesman. And I'm Phil Jankowski, City Hall reporter slash giant nerd. And we are the hosts of Win or Die, analyzing Game of Thrones, the final season, which is a podcast series examining the final season of Game of Thrones over the next six weeks. We are going to be talking about all things Game of Thrones, which means spoilers and adult themes. So be warned. I'm Joe Gross. And I'm Phil Jankowski. And welcome to the newest episode of Win or Die, analyzing Game of Thrones, the final season. And this week, we saw the penultimate episode of the series and had very different reactions to yep. it. Uh, this episode is another long one. In fact, well, they're pretty much all they're all, long they're all hitting 80 minutes at this point. But as they've done with every other one this season, they released the title after it was aired. It was called The Bells, which I think is a pretty decent title since they mentioned The Bells a whole bunch of times and you got a whole bunch of people yelling, please ring the bells. We'll get to that. But anyways, initial reaction, I I, per usual, loved it. I think this is the best episode of this season so far. And Joe, you? I thought aspects of it were piping hot garbage. So we can <laughs> unpack that at length. Also, The Bells is a name is the name of a pretty good Lou Reed record, and you should check that out. But yes. it does not involve dragons. <laughs> yeah, let's just let's go through the episode and then we can pick apart why you loved it and why I was throwing stuff at my television by the end. <laughs> I hope your television Okay. My television is fine. All of the things were very soft. Good. First thing we see is Varys writing a note that will never get attached to a raven. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, I don't know. He might have been able to get get that one out the door there. I he set it on fire. No, that's later on. Oh. This one, he's writing the note. We do get to see a little bit of what's on there. And gotcha. it's pretty obvious that he's, you know, doing not light treason, full on treason. Full, full <laughs> on, straight up treason. And mm. so he's sitting there and there's this little kid that comes in, one of his little spiders. And even like she gets it. She's like, yeah, we're we're screwed here. Everybody's watching us. And he's like, no, they're just always doing that yeah and what they're watching for is exactly what danny has ended up avoiding which is poison in her food yeah is that what you think i, I didn't absolutely it, it didn't occur to me at the time but now uh, that makes that makes perfect sense yeah that like they mention her not eating and varus is like well oh well yeah. i guess that won't work i still think there's some ambiguity there i think it could just be a, an emotional reaction to the death of you know, her two best friends, basically, in, totally. in this season. Varys and John have a conversation. He lays out a case for wanting the right ruler on the Iron Throne. And Targaryens are either heroes or bonkers. And we really don't know what Danny is yet, but he is now leaning towards bonkers. 
Yeah, I like how they reference the whole coin flip thing, which yeah. our listeners will remember we jumped into a little bit there in totally. um, last episode. And he says to John, I'm still not quite sure wh- which way her coin is going to land, but I am positive on yours. Yeah, yeah, which is lovely. But John says, I don't want the job. And Varys has sort of a whelp moment. Yeah. Tyrion visits Danny, who we first see sort of shrouded in darkness. Yeah, she's, uh, she's looking a little rough. Yeah. Well, somebody pointed out that, you know, the person who probably helped her braid her hair is dead. Yeah. And so, you I know. I think that's canon, actually. I don't remember if it's show <laughs> canon or book canon, but that Missandei was the, is the one that does, that braids her Did hair. It up? Yeah. Well, no, you know, I don't think Grey Worm can get it done. Tyrion says, so about your inner circle, and Danny says, look, I know it's Varys. I'm not an idiot. Well, actually, just to correct you a little bit there, he says there's a traitor in our midst, and she doesn't say Varys. She says Jon Snow. Oh, right. She's yeah, right, yeah, yeah. but just I loved how her mind immediately goes to Jon that's Snow. A, yeah, no, that's fair. And Tyrion's like, no, no, he just told his sister and uh, well she gets sort of later on about that's a betrayal but he's like no 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 it's it's Varys it's Varys yeah. <laughs> let's not murder John mm-hmm. yet no she absolutely considers him telling Sansa who then told Tyrion about his lineage of betrayal and you know Tyrion just doesn't seem to know what I mean Tyrion is definitely displaying the yep still scared of you behaviors yeah he was displaying earlier and Danny is just in a world of hurt and Grey Worm picks up Varys and brings him to stand tall before the man. And in this case, the man is Drogon. Yeah. I like the, I thought it was a really nice touch in the initial part of the sequence where Varys kind of hears the marching of the guards up to his room and he's taking off his rings. Like it's, it's such kind of like a futile gesture, but it also shows that like he knows what's coming and he's probably looking at his fingers and he's like well these are nice rings and they really don't need to be melted down for some reason that it got me a little bit i I don't know maybe it was just sort of the inevitability of it all yeah and the thing that i kind of like about Varys is he's a snake he's always been a snake he knows he's a snake and you know he doesn't freak out he played his cards and he lost yeah and this is what happens yeah and he went out like a soldier and I thought that was very cool. Uh, Tyrion is not handling it as well. Yeah. But there's a moment there, and I saw this in, it was either in the scenes after the show or maybe in the game revealed featurette that they did. Because there's a moment there, Tyrion confesses that he's basically the rat, and he touches Varys on the arm. And Varys has this sort of look of surprise and then sort of, resignation sadness but it was the look of surprise and the director miguel sapochnik asked him like why'd you do that look and the the actor replied varus has never really been touched before um which i thought was really cool a really nice little choice by that actor and so he says to Tyrion, i hope i deserve this i truly do I hope I'm wrong about his, you know, him surmising that Danny is not going to be a great leader. Yeah. And it turns out that he's 100% right, but we'll get to that in a second. You know, I'm very fond of comparing all films about violence and power and family tend toward the condition of the Godfather. Yeah, I was and, just sitting there. I was like, here comes Godfather. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> and Danny really is just going like full Michael Corleone yeah. at the end of, of part two. She's so isolated. Where she's just, yeah, she's just by herself and angry and paranoid and killing people that she just doesn't have to kill. Yeah. And Danny is very, I love you and 
John's like, well, you're my queen. Yeah. And this is not the answer she was looking for. If we can just step back for a moment just because the sort of the killing of Varys. I just wanted to point out that I thought it was really cool how, you know, she like pronounces the sentence and then out of the darkness comes the dragon. I just thought it was a really, really cool shot. Nothing else to say about it except I was just like, cool. Yeah, it was it was nicely executed. <laughs> yeah, but as as you were getting as, as you were getting at we yeah, we go we go next to Danny in the chambers with Grey Worm. Grey Worm's there with her. Danny hands him Miss Sandy's slave collar, which I guess she was holding on as some sort of memento or something. And Grey Worm just like looks at it, chucks it into the fire. Uh, yeah, he's, I, he's not. He doesn't want to be sentimental at all. Well, yeah, he's he's absolutely furious, and she's sort of using him as like you know her Al Neri now. Like she, he is her button man. He is ready to kill pretty much whoever she says. Right. And you know, not unjustified. Right. But we'll, we'll we'll get to that in a bit. We we will. John, yeah. um, she and John are not in a great place. Yeah, he walks into that room. She starts talking about how, again, how nobody in Westeros loves her like they did over in Marine. All they do is fear her. John replies. I love you, my queen. And she sort of stands up and says, is that all I am to you? Just your queen. She approaches him. They kiss. Well, she really kisses him. He just kind of stands there. Demonstrating the total, once again, the total lack of chemistry. Yeah, but at this point, at this point, this is a complete choice, though. Like, that's definitely like a choice that says, like, she's going to try to kiss him and he's just going to, you know, stand there. And then she says, after being sort of rejected, just says, all right, then let it be fear. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, if there's ever a time for someone to maybe do a little incest just for the greater good now might be the time <laughs> like <laughs> yeah i it's I, like maybe you take one for the team and see because it's i mean everything about what she's saying is you know saying that like it, benevolence is done here on this continent here's how i'm gonna rule and i mean i'm, I'm saying that in jest but things might have turned out differently if suddenly he was able to be affectionate towards her well the thing that's sort of frustrating for me about that scene is complaining about not being loved when you have spent eight seasons incinerating people with dragons is a bit much. Yeah, she inspired devotion elsewhere, and it was by, you know, what was seen as good deeds or miraculous deeds in mm-hmm. the in the cases of walking away from fire. And here in Westeros, all she really has done is like kill scare people, people and scare she, people. She spent she spent the entire time scaring people. Right. I, I her complaining in this regard falls on completely deaf ears yeah. to me. I mean I, I just I'm thinking about the very first episode of this season, just where she's marching into Winterfell. She's supposed to be a savior, but then these dragons go overhead and everybody's terrified yeah. you know the common folk are terrified and she obviously is sensing that everyone is completely scared of her and seems to be the only thing that's working yeah yeah i just her character arc is so strange at this point to me that it's it just yeah i i'm not entirely sure why danny does anything that she does anymore well we can talk more about that later Tyrion you know, it just sort of makes a hail mary and says to danny look if the city surrenders you'll hear bells. 
and you won't need to destroy it. Like there will be a moment where the city might very well surrender and you should know that. And she sort of says, okay. Yeah. She's just like, yeah. Sure. Bells. And then straight up threatens Tyrion. The next time you fail me, it will be the last time you fail me. And that's never happened before. She's been pissed at him. Yeah. But she hasn't been, she hasn't threatened him. And it's kind of unpleasant. Yeah. And he's trying to get out of there when she informs him that they've captured his brother. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's awkward for everybody. (laughs) Yeah. We see refugees struggling to get into King's Landing. Arya and the Hound roll up. Arya says, I'm Arya Stark. I'm going to kill Queen Cersei. And the soldier's like, okay. Yeah. This is fine. It's like, I'm going to tell my captain. Hound's like, all right. Yeah. Um, This is good news. There's kind of a goofy scene where Tyrion tries out his Valerian on some Unsullied and it doesn't go great. He then sneaks into the city to see Jamie. He doesn't sneak into the city. I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. He doesn't sneak into the city. He sneaks into... He, he what, what happens is Tyrion has learned from Danny that his brother has been captured. Uh-huh. And so he's in the war camp and he goes to where the tent is, where Jamie is being held and guarded by some unsullied. And he says, I need to see my brother alone. And they kind of sit there and think, well, no, we've been ordered to guard him. And yeah. he says, well, who are you ordered by? Because if it wasn't the queen, then I outrank this person and they say oh and they kindly get the f out of there and he he walks in and has a moment with his brother yeah and it's it's genuinely moving Tyrion knows this isn't going to go great for jamie and he also knows it's probably not going to go great for Tyrion. Mm -hmm. but he's willing to accept that is he sort of proffers this idea to his brother i'll free you on this condition that you sneak in the king's landing find your sister maybe you can be the one to throw the hail mary pass maybe you are the aaron Rodgers of this whole <laughs> situation and can finally convince cersei that the end of her reign is inevitable yeah and and jamie says to him they will certainly execute you for this and Tyrion basically says you know the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few yeah or the one as uh, Spock said. Yeah, it's it's a genuinely <laughs> it's a genuinely sweet idea. But all I could think was while watching yeah. it, while I mean a genuinely sweet moment, not idea. Yeah. But all I could think of when I was watching it was Braun getting the offer to kill the brothers and just looking at the crossbow and saying this family Um. (laughs) yeah yeah it's yeah and i'm i'm shaking my head saying to myself really but at the end of it it is two brothers sort of realizing that they're never gonna see each other again no matter what the outcome is they're probably both gonna die Tyrion tells jamie basically you know you're the reason that i was able to get through my childhood you're the only one that spoke to me like i was a human they embrace Tyrion sobs lightly that got me and just very touching yeah sad it was nice so yeah as as you were saying we see euron 
and the Iron Fleet. We see the ballistas being readied. We see the commoners starting to really freak out. And this is one thing that I really liked about this episode was the focus on the the common people. We'll see how that is important. Um, But yeah, you can see Arya and the Hound have gotten into the city. The Golden Company is marching out of the city just as Jaime is walking in. Cersei is above from her perch standing and looking confident. Arya and the Hound are able to get into the Red Keep. Jamie doesn't get into the Red Keep. And then we go to back to Euron, who is looking skyward expectantly. And down comes in this spectacular nosedive Drogon, of course, with Danny top the murder dragon. And she just starts flaming the hell out of the Iron Fleet. Yeah. It's like she went to some sort of she, she went to battle tactics, like watched a TED talk on battle, totally. on basic Just battle got, tactics. Got up, got up a couple of <laughs> dialed up a couple of YouTube yeah. videos, how to ride a dragon <laughs> such that you can dodge enormous crossbow. Balls. Yeah. And, and some of the basic tactics that people were complaining about in the lead up to this episode after what happened in episode four, you can see that she's she's like, note taken. Yeah. Yeah. It, I understand what I need to do here she kind of goes around and and really takes out all of the anti-aircraft guns yeah so to speak and then meanwhile we're waiting out in front of the gates and as danny had told gray worm previously you'll know my sign when you see it when to begin the attack and what a spectacular sign it's a pretty good sign yeah just blowing up king's blowing up the front of king's land yeah it's a spectacular it's visually excellent i love the lead up to it you know you've got the head of the golden company this man named harry strickland but who cares what his name is anyways you you do yeah i do you um but you hear like these like little distant explosions are getting closer they're getting closer they're getting closer and then bam you know yeah. the whole thing just crashes open and they're wondering how to hold the gate well shoot this gate is wide open yeah and the charge is on the northern army storms the gate and just starts sacking the city and there is no pretense really of separating civilians and army yeah it's it's becoming you're starting to see the phrase develop on the sort of morality that this army kind of felt like it had or at least we as viewers might have felt like it like it's had it hasn't gone full-on berserker mode yet as they are still fighting with the lannister army and the gold and the remaining golden company but you can see that common folk are getting caught up into this innocents are dying yeah yeah, and this is urban warfare, so people are just trying to get, <laughs> trying to stay out of the way, and the Northern Army does not care that much. We cut to Cersei, who looks not entirely there. Something that I thought was sort of interesting about Cersei in this is I don't think she ever really prepared for the idea that she would lose. I agree. Like, it just never seems to have I crossed agree. her mind. She is in complete denial. She's watching it. She's got probably the best seat in the house to observe what this dragon is doing to all of her well-thought-out, or Kyburn, I assume, well-thought-out defensive strategy. And she's just looking at it like, all is well. Yeah, I did love it when Kyburn walked in and was like, look, even I think we're screwed. Like, this is me saying this. Yeah. And uh, 
she says, no, the Lannister army is better soldiers than the Golden Company because they're the ones stationed inside the city protecting the castle. They will protect the Red Keep. And Kyburn's just like, uh, I, okay. I, I, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what to tell you, lady. This is not good. So after a little bit of fight, after some fighting, we see the Lannister army lay down its arms. Yeah. And the bells ring. Yes, the bells. I, I love preceding that just a little bit as it gets really quiet. Danny stopped burning stuff. Yeah. She's perched on a battlement, I assume, trying to get the lay of the land. They lay down their swords. The city kind of goes silent as the fighting is stalled and people start shouting, ring the bells, ring the bells yeah. over and over again. Even Cersei can hear it. Is she going to make that order? No, but somebody. Somebody will. Yeah. And then it's, you know, the, the Iron Fleet is burning in the bay. The bells ring. The city is officially taken by the rules of war. Yeah. And it's over. Danny, it's over. And Danny does not care. Yeah. <laughs> she just starts incinerating every everything in sight. Yeah. And I am watching. I was on team danny up to this point and i'm sitting here watching as she looking at the the look on her face as you see that there's no joy in this victory for her i mean she has a complete victory and would have a relatively bloodless victory she's hardly lost any soldiers there's been some commoners that have died but largely you know we're gonna be taking the city with as little damage as we could probably manage on this thing and no she wants more she looks at the red keep and something snaps and she takes off and she's decided to burn them all well this is yeah she's gone full full dad here and you know one of our colleagues in the newsroom said he disagreed with the idea that she went nuts that he thought these were civilians that you know, allowed Ned Stark to die. These were civilians that enabled the Lannisters to remain in power. Not, I'm not saying I agree with him, but I thought it was I thought it was interesting that he said, you know, I can see Danny feeling justified in saying like, this is just this is revenge. Yeah, um, vengeance. Yeah, this is just I can wreak havoc out of just sheer vengeance, and you can't stop me. And that she's not crazy. She's just you know decide she's just evil or or feels that she's or you know she doesn't feel that she doesn't think she's evil yeah and maybe she doesn't i don't know i mean if you if not to go book nerd on you but like when the first targaryens came they basically sealed their power by doing roughly the same thing to a castle that was thought to be the most impenetrable fortress in all of Westeros. We saw it briefly back in season two or three. I can't remember. Heron Hall is what it was called. And it was completely destroyed by then. And they're just kind of staying in a ruin. But I mean, that was basically what sealed the deal for them to be like considered the one true power in Westeros. And so maybe she's thinking, I destroy all of this i don't i can dispense with having to make deals with the leaders of the regions and it's just no it's it's my rule there's no compromise here yeah i mean if we're trying to humanize what she's doing in any way or or make any sort of sense of it i can i can understand i can understand that logic yeah and now we see euron and jamie who run into each other yeah um Lord plot device shows yeah. up. Let me tell you, I am so freaking sick 
of Euron Greyjoy. He, yeah, his, everything that he stands for in just, this show. He's just not. Well, no, talk about that. A what do you mean by stands for? What I mean is on like a sort of not in within the, the context of the story, but outside sure. of the context of the story in what have been the serious foibles of this last season mm -hmm. is that at, 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 he's just a point of convenience. You know, why the heck is he showing up in this spot? Yeah. You know, what does he know that? Jamie Lannister is is trying to sneak in through this what we assume is is a secret entrance to the we know it's a secret entrance yeah. into the castle how the heck does he know about it how did he just magically wash up here yeah and it's just I mean the final straw really was last episode with him just showing up out of nowhere and easily pinpointing a dragon which if you know anything from the the books is like an absolutely tremendous feat to take down a dragon and you know at every turn when it's been convenient for the show for him to show up and even the odds it's it's happened yeah no it's dumb as hell yeah and so when he shows up i'm just like again again yeah maybe you're on his you know the common tongue for deusic machina yeah no that's that's uh, that's absolutely what he is so he taunts Jamie over his relationship with cersei he just starts calling himself the king because he boned the queen and which doesn't even make sense he taunts Jamie on the Kingslayer thing. And it's a, you know, there's, it's a pretty good sword fight. You know, it's two guys being idiots over a woman. Yeah. And, and Euron is able to stab Jamie, which yeah. I thought was, you know, interesting and unfortunate. And you could hear everybody who watches the show in America saying, if Jamie dies in this fight, I'm going to Elvis my television. <laughs> if this is the guy who takes him out, yeah. I, I'm, you know. That wound, though, uh, you know, I'm sitting there thinking of games in New York when he gets him right in the gets, side yeah. there, and I'm like, that's a kill. That's that, a kill that, shot. Yeah, that's a kill. <laughs> that's a kill. This episode of Win or Die is brought to you by the Alamo Drafthouse. For movies and showtimes, visit drafthouse.com. And then you're on in I get, at this point I think the uh, screenwriters the showrunners were simply trolling the audience when Euron says I'm the man who killed Jamie Lannister <laughs> everybody's like dude don't come on that's I, I, just rude what I there were several times that I had like audible reactions throughout the show and when he said that and you see that stupid smile on his face that's where I mean I can't say what I said yeah. to my television it's not suitable for sure. for our audience we uh then see just just I'm just so glad we'll never see him again but die. I don't know he he didn't die on screen if he shows up on the last episode that would be hilarious oh, yeah that would he's be, sitting on oh, you're honest sitting on the iron throne <laughs> so mad the next day the hound cut to the hound and aria the hound is like look we're gonna die i'm gonna die you're probably gonna die we're all gonna die here i am not leaving this don't be like me don't be so obsessed with vengeance and aria sort of has a like i'll make my own choices thank you yeah moment with him that you know comes back later she at first tries to storm off and says no i'm here to kill cersei and he grabs her by the arm she looks angry yeah. at, at him but then and then we have he does convince her though that he's like don't be like me 
and so she she actually leaves and there's a, a just a nice little touch is that just as he's about to leave they're, they're never going to see him anymore she calls him sandor it's the first that time that great. she ever calls him sandor I, almost she, nobody calls him that yeah i think it's maybe popped up like once or twice um, yeah he's either clagane to his friends yeah. or the hound to people who fear him and so, it's, yeah it is a very nice moment so kyburn at this point has finally convinced cersei that it's time to go and you actually see this sort of slow motion breakdown of her as they're leaving and they're coming down the stairs and air horns start going off yeah. all over america i've getting a big smile i, I was gonna face. say i thought i somewhere phil is extremely excited so yeah, we see Kyburn, the Zombie Mountain, and Cersei fleeing, and they all run into the Hound. Yeah, who says hello, Big Brother? This is the very definition of fan service. We all should be a little embarrassed at this point, but Why? we're gonna do this. Uh, we all <laughs> um, want this. I uh, even think the only person that doesn't want it is Kyburn, and we see what happens when he tries to deny us Clegane Bowl. You know, I, <laughs> Kyburn. It's funny. I was really hoping that Kyburn would go up. This was this whole episode was about people dying in kind of disappointing ways. And Kyburn, I I mean, I appreciated him getting just like dispatched. I loved it. Dispatched quickly. But I kind of wanted him to be like, I don't know, Frankenstein somehow. That he would like have a more Kyburn-esque death. Oh, yeah, yeah. I get that. I laughed But it was very funny. It was so funny. And there's, I mean, there was a lot of stuff in this scene that was, you know, hilarious. And maybe unintentionally so. I'm not sure. I think. Are you talking about Cersei? Cersei after, just like crab walking out of there. Yeah, and she's sitting there looking at them and just kind of like, uh, I, I, I gotta go. Yeah, I think I left the oven on. <laughs> it's it's very it's very much like that. And I kind of wondered, like, and it's such an awkward scene that I kind of wonder if they just if the filmmakers were like, wait a minute, she's still on the other side of the mountain and we need to get her over here and we haven't set that up because if Kyburn had like grabbed her and like dragged her past them or if she had run or something past the two of them then it would have made a little bit more sense but they had her calling for the mountain Sir Gregor come stay, back and yeah, he, stay by my side yeah he ignores it and suddenly she just realizes, like, I'm straight, I'm fresh out of allies. Yeah. And then just sort of has to, like, sneak past these. I thought it was, I thought it's, that was hilarious. It's, it's funny. It's very funny. It, but also, I do actually like the choice. I like it because it does give us a little something to laugh at at it. But I also feel like it kind of shows that she is now absolutely, completely vulnerable. She's lost the one, you know, we thought was a nigh invincible force protecting her. And she is just kind of slinking by the hound cautiously, knowing that, like, I am no longer protected. Yeah, I, I could die at any second. Yeah. And Jamie and Cersei meet for the first time in forever. Cersei seems vulnerable, which was, I thought this was a nice bit of acting on, um, Oh, Lena Head. Hed Lena Headley. Yeah, she. Uh, I thought. I thought she did a good job. Suddenly, and this is this is the part where I was like, man, she really never thought that she was going to lose. Like yeah. it just didn't occur to her. Mm -hmm. And she's, uh, she's, she's breaking down. And, and yeah, she's kind of losing it. And Jamie's like, yeah, we we might be a little doomed here. Yeah, this is not going to end well. I've thought that Lena Headey is 
probably if not if not the best then one of the best actors on this show or at least has delivered yeah some of the best performances and here again we start to see a new dimension to her character and it's troubling in that you almost start after all this time after 72 or three 72 episodes of hating this person suddenly you're you see you're vulnerable and, and kind of sympathize a little bit there were some people on twitter that were troubled by that and hated it i am of the mind that i think that the biggest strength of this show is how detailed its characters are and how many levels that they have and so i'm utterly fine with it and absolutely welcomed it so we cut back to the clegane bowl oh yeah and i guess my primary beef with it is i just don't think it was shot all that well really yeah i wanted a lot more wide Wide shots of these guys fighting part of the problem for me was the sheer amount of just like cgi stuff going on in the shot like all the flames yeah i found it very you know end of the third star wars prequel when Anakin and Obi-Wan are fighting in, around the lava. And, uh, you know, I blocked all that out. I don't blame you. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, no, uh, I know what you're talking about. I have the high ground. Is that what you're yeah, getting? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a little like that. And I was just like, I, this is something that people have wanted for a very long time. And it was, and nothing could, I mean, look, maybe I'm just being silly and nothing could have possibly lived up to the, the hype. I was really hoping for something in the dragon pit. Yeah, because that's just a. I mean, when you think about the fight between Oberyn and the mountain, that I thought was beautifully shot oh, and yeah. beautifully choreographed. And this was, I mean, I just wanted something a little more. But again, criticizing a show for what you want rather than what you have is stupid. And you said it, not me. Yeah, Joe. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's yeah, it's now, not, it's not. You're you're just going to be very unsatisfied with what goes down. Now, I, you know, as the sort of foil to you of course i loved it yeah. i think actually i mean it's it's not a beautifully choreographed scene like the duel between the mountain and oberin but i thought it was fine for its quarters because it is two brutes you know True. fighting totally. each other and so, so having something elegant and pretty doesn't make sense for either one of them and i i love how it sort of devolves into basically this hand-to-hand combat the we, we really get to see hapthor bjornsson the world's strongest man <laughs> using his strength and i saw in the in the after the episode like it literally is him quite literally tossing the hound around like it showed some That's stuff awesome. and it's really great <laughs> To go back to Star Wars again, we do get the sort of the Return of the Jedi reveal of uh, <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> the was that was space. pretty funny. The, the the mountain looking like Everyone old school Anakin Skywalker. Everyone thought that. I mean, like they just decided to put him up one way, and I don't know how they didn't think of that because everyone's thinking it's very i thought yeah it's very funny well you know i wonder about that i wonder if it's everybody who's over 40 thinking that or over 35 i do want to just this scene is intercut with aria in the streets and i and i love that because she's getting trampled and you can see like there there are certain parts where it's like you see a blow that's about to come down on sandor's head and then it quick cuts to aria in the streets and it's somebody stomping on her that goes on a couple of times back and forth and then she is saved by this reoccurring mother and daughter uh, duo that showed up like four or five times throughout this episode yeah and then we're back to 
two, you know, then we're back to finish off the Clegane Bowl. There's and another very seriously fan servicey moment. I love this. So the the hound is being held aloft. He's screaming "F and die," and he laughs at him. I'm reminded of Moby Dick, but actually, I am actually really reminded of uh, Khan from Star Trek too. Yeah, that was where he says, "From hell's black heart, I stab at thee. For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee." And then. The fan servicey so, thing I, I assume you were talking about is the eye gouging. Since, since Wrath of Khan basically is Moby Dick, I, yeah. think, you're, I think you're fine. Yeah. The, yeah. The, well, the eye gouging thing, which I thought was kind of funny, and just the like hound overcoming his fear of fire and just them like sailing out the <laughs> sailing out the wall. I l- we we called it like that yeah. was we called a lot in this episode, but that is one that I actually like we formulated on our very first episode of this when you mentioned Frankenstein and then it was just suddenly like, no, wait, the hound's got to die, but he's got to die by fire. He's gotta, yeah, and, he's and, die it, by fire. and yeah, it's fan servicey. The fact that we were able to get it right on means that like it's not the most creative thing right exactly but it, like, i don't it, know if this is a good thing it feels so good and it definitely is a hero's <laughs> death it's fan service but, but feels like well-earned everybody service. i really wish you could see phil's face right now he's got like the best smile that was awesome so happy. it was so awesome <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right we gotta go we gotta go let's let's get through this <laughs> yeah, we, cut back, we cut back to john john says we need to fall back and he's sort of essentially invoking like a mercy rule I think I think it's more like he's watching this and he's like, we're going to die. We're going to die. Yeah. There's also that that like she is not distinguishing between like her own soldiers and she just wants to, as they say, watch the world burn. And, and, and uh, Davos is there still alive. Yes, uh, that dude <laughs> That dude is going to end up on Iron I know throne. where I want to be in a battle. I want to be next to Davos. Next to Davos. He's got yeah. some invisible force field around him. He's just, you know, <laughs> if you look up Luck of the Irish, you see a picture of that dude. Yeah. Kind of, we go next to what I think is a really great sequence and a really great device that they use to, to show the carnage that is happening. Mm. And that is because we suddenly switch to we're following Arya in this death desperate attempt to escape King's Landing while fire and blood is just happening all around her. She's covered in ashes, and then she she realizes she's with this group of people. One of them is that mother and daughter that have come up so much, and she convinces them to follow her. Immediately, that's a bad idea because yeah. the Dothraki ride them down. The mother is hurt. Arya helps her up, and then... I love this part of the episode because we all kind of like there's all of this stuff happening in the background, but are we not all checking out what's happening in the background as there's this dragon in the distance and it kind of looks like, ah, oh, it's just a dragon coming around, but no, it starts banking towards them and they kind of expertly kind of cut it out and back in and you just see it closer and closer. I'm sitting here freaking out and the dragon, boom, shoots that fire everywhere. Yeah, yeah that was also a... If this is how Arya goes out, I'm going to Elvis my television moment. <laughs> like, anonymously destroyed by, you know, that's just rude. Yeah, but this I, show doesn't do that. So I'm not, I wasn't that worried. Like, I'm. Okay, this show did that in literally the next scene. Let's go through the scene and let's talk about it. So we cut to Cersei and Jamie underneath. I guess sort of in uh, in the basement in the basement of the Red Keep, mm-hmm. and Cersei's kind of losing it. She sort of just breaks down and says, "Don't let me die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die." Again, the fact that you feel any sympathy for her at all 
is a testament to some A1 acting because she is a terrible person. Right. Jamie reiterates a theme that he has been leaning on for many years. Nothing else matters, only us. Only us. And then the ceiling collapses, and just like that, Jamie and Cersei die in each other's arms, killed by rocks. The things we do for love. Not an interesting, vengeful death at the hands of a Stark. Rocks. I Yeah, what do you got? I am totally fine with it, per usual. <laughs> She's brought down and destroyed by the one thing that she thought would protect her forever. That's a reasonable point. Yeah. I thank you for the concession, Joe. <laughs> and also, she's brought down by her own choices, you know? Yeah. It's all led up to this point, you know? She could have fled earlier. She could have called off. She could have sought to parlay with them. She could have made so many different choices. And in the end, she ends up in this basement, their way out sealed off. And yeah. so I don't have a problem with it. I, I just wanted to point out, because we all kind of assumed that Jamie was going to choke the life out of her based on that Valencar prophecy that we've spoken about earlier. Or Tyrion. Or Tyrion. And I also just want to point out that that prophecy says you'll die with the Valonqar's hands around your neck. And it doesn't necessarily oh. say that he's going to strangle her to death. That is nerdy as hell, and I am here for yeah, it. Yeah, but he's got his hand. I, I double-checked. No, you're, he's got his hand on her neck. That is a good pull. For a show that has a complicated relationship with fan service, mm -hmm. I think people were really hoping for something a little more epic. Yeah. From... Yeah, Jamie and Cersei. I, I will. Passing. I will grant you that because yeah, you really kind of craved somebody, you know, doing the deed up close and, right. and personal. We but, all sort of had, I think, a murder fantasy it, totally. of somebody choking the life out of her, Arya, you know, stabbing her or something like that. But the show also is also a lot about sort of subverting expectations. Uh, yes, too. and subverting the, the notion of prophecy and destiny. Yeah. Um, and then we see Arya covered in soot. This was a tad on the nose for me, <laughs> but she looks like death. Yeah. And in case that was too subtle, there's a pale horse right. that she gets on and rides out of the ruins of King's Landing. I thought it was hacky as hell, but I mean, I enjoyed it, but I was also like, that's pretty hack, guys. Come on. Yeah. It's a little heavy handed. There is the point right before she finds that horse. She does indeed see that mother and daughter that have been charred and she's standing there kind of completely stunned by what has happened for good reason. It's a quiet moment and I like it just because like this is in the sort of aftermath of such destruction. I can't imagine this being like one of those weird things that would just happen out of all the things like you just see just like a horse or something like that. It's eerie but then we cut to the credits and it's over. And That's it? Yeah. There is one thing I want to say about the credits is that it's a beautifully constructed song there that's sort of weaves together the song from the season finale for episode six. I forget what the name of the song is. And the Reigns of Castamere, the Lannister song. So it's that song that was played all along during the lead up to the destruction of the Septa Baylor, sort of uh, Cersei's most heinous action right. and the, the Lannister song. And so just the way that 
those were weaved together really, really got to me. So let's talk a little bit about the reaction to Danny going full on crazy. There was definitely some Twitter hate on that. You know, some were calling it sort of the death of good writing, writer laziness. Somebody said this isn't this is this is not like character development. This is character assassination. What do you think? I thought, as with much this season, that it happened a little too quickly. Yeah. Although other people have pointed out on Twitter that she has been murderous from the jump. Right. That's why I'm okay with it, but I can sympathize with your first point. Yeah, but they also have, because the writers have really sort of tried to play her both ways, that she is, you know, the breaker of chains. But she is also willing to murder everything in sight that is preventing her from her goal. Right. She has done a lot of killing and we've cheered it, you know, at almost almost every turn that it's happened. There was the one decision, you know, that she made after uh, I believe after sacking Marine to basically crucify all of the slave masters. I mean, that's a hint at what her sort of vengeful character is. I mean, that's a that was a bit much. Yeah. She says like several times when basically confronted with something that she wants to attack it full on and destroy anyone involved. She uses the term fire and blood at the least once throughout the series. And she's had people to temper those impulses and those people are gone. Yeah. You think if Jora is still around that he would be able to rein her in? I do. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, yes. I also think that women who are fans of the show are completely justified in being really pissed off how Danny has gone from being this liberating figure to crazy Mm -hmm. in, you know, just seemingly overnight. Now, again, there's the argument that she's always been a little bit, but she has always acted what, you know, what she perceives as in the interests of justice. And that is no longer true. Right. Now, uh-huh. I uh, to to that point, I would just point back to all the foreshadowing. This is, you know, to somebody that would say that it's just, you know, and, and as a person that actually was rooting for her to end up on the throne at the end of this, you know, as a good ruler, yeah. that there was just so much already in place there that it doesn't not make sense. Yeah. Let's talk about the next episode. Yeah. So we don't get that much as far as hints from the sort of the preview thing here's what we do see we see davos and john walking in the rubble Tyrion walks in the rubble as well sees that the red keep is destroyed Arya's there looking a little more cleaned up she's near some dothraki you see the unsullied army you see the dothraki cheer i believe you see some of the northern army as well so that's all we really get as far as what db weiss and david benioff are going to let us know about the series finale also just since we since i brought them up they are directing this last episode mm. it's another 80 minute so yeah what happens what do we well think? there's one other thing that what's happens that in the preview what did it, i miss the very last shot is danny i think in a tower looking down on the remains of king's landing yeah in a very like 
Lenny Reifenstahl type. I have uh, no idea who that is, but that's fine. <laughs> I'll take your uh, word for yeah, it. Yeah, it's that. That's totally cool. <laughs> type of shot mirroring, I think, a lot of the perspective shots we've seen of Cersei. Yes, of Cersei. Yeah, where she's looking down Good on. Point. Good yeah, point. looking down on the ruins, and you know she is willing to rule in hell uh, yeah. rather than serve in heaven Mm -mm. so yeah let's speculate wildly yeah i mean the first question is what happens to danny does she live through this next episode i don't think so i think john kills her yeah i I don't even know if i think that because i'm extremely cynical about this show now right or if i think i don't think she's going to make it out of this alive i would be very surprised although that would that would be very interesting yeah is if this show ends with her kind of nut and in charge and this has all been a nothing not not even for nothing but there is an anti-feudal anti-monarchy streak through this show yeah that that i think martin does a pretty good job now again i haven't read the books but from people like you that martin does do a pretty good job of showing that no matter who you are power will corrupt to a certain degree with some people it corrupts utterly with some people only corrupts a little bit and people who stay as far away from it as possible as far away as their obligations allow them to be that you know ned stark runs his territory but he's basically a decent guy you know he has to chop off some heads now and then but he's basically a good dude. And the reason is that he has no interest in the power games of the South. So on whether on her dying, I agree, feels inevitable. But again, as you as we have mentioned, this show loves to completely go against what is expected. John seems, I agree, the most logical fit to kill her. Arya makes is kind of logistically the right choice just because she's kind of there in secret and might be able to pull off, you know, one last sort of assassination. But as I don't really think so. Tyrion, I I think he's going to die as well. Yeah, I I think think he's toast. I think the Unsullied have definitely let Danny know that he set his brother free and he's not going to make it or unless he's going to have to pull off another sort of daring escape or something like that. But she's not about locking people up and waiting for a trial. She's about immediate pronouncement of execution and carrying that out with Drogon. Yes. You think he's toast as well? Drogon? No, not Drogon. Tyrion. Yeah, I think Tyrion's going to die. I I would be very interested to see if they knock off Drogon. Yeah, how? Um, and, And that's the question is that like, how i mean like danny dies and then like i don't know best case scenario drogon just like well i'm done here i'm gonna head back west and just you know go maybe i'll go retire with Tormund. and i mean i think well yeah exactly i i i mean i think there's an argument to be made that you know dragons are like nukes they shouldn't be around the targaryens and i think this is true correct me if i'm wrong the fact that the targaryens always had dragons was like this sort of magic bullet thermonuclear deterrent right and the only time that like anyone was ever able to stop them was when they basically had what amounted to a civil war within the family it's the so-called dance of dragons it was like here's where dragons are dying because we're killing them with other with other dragons dragons. but i mean i feel like that dragon has got to go somehow the show has been methodically dispensing of its fantasy elements throughout this season you know the, the zombie go, yeah and going back to sort of like 
and, and trying in some ways to go back to the first season yeah. where the fantasy elements were minimal at best. So what about Sansa and Bran? We didn't see well, them at all this episode. I will say that the, I love this episode. It, it would have been nice if they had gotten just a five-minute little snippet in there here somewhere. Is, here is my wild prediction all right. for Play the next episode. I have nothing to base this on other than gut feeling. Uh, baseless is where we that's where, where, where we're going. That's where we're going. <laughs> Because they have rushed certain things about, I think they have rushed certain things about this story this season. I think we're going to get a time jump at the very end of the show because I don't think the way they have paced out this season that they have enough runway to get to an appropriately, you know, I'm using air quotes with the word appropriately, epic conclusion Mm -hmm. to this. You know, it's it's kind of a cheap tool and one that TV has become more comfortable with is not a hard reset time jump, but a time jump that lets you see that everything is going to be okay or everything is going to be a disaster or everything changes. Okay. I was a little confused when you started off, but I think I'm getting it now. When you said time jump, Brand's such a weirdo. I'm thinking that like he plugs into the werewolf no, internet no, no, no. and then suddenly like sees the future. You're talking no, about I'm, at some point they just have a fade I, cut I, I, to I, I, yeah, five years then, later. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. And again, no basis for that. I could be completely wrong. I probably am completely wrong. But I think it would be interesting if they do that because it doesn't feel like there's enough time left to create the ending that they've been sort of hinting that they would have. But again, you know, their relationship to cliche versus ignoring conventions conventions has been very mixed yeah. and so i i i don't know how they're gonna I just, how they're gonna play this i out. just hope brand does something i really doubt this is gonna happen because as you said before there's just not enough runway there because i really would like to get some sort of resolution to what the meaning of him becoming this sort of emotionless uh <laughs> tree god yeah it, like what does that mean because so far we've they've delivered basically nothing on that i I'm hoping that at the least we see him use his powers a little bit to see that like he maybe is the one to sort of deliver the news to Sansa about the awful atrocities that have happened down there. And that might be used as some sort of device to get them to start talking about what our future is as Starks, because with Danny flat out saying that Sansa has basically worked against her that you one could only assume that she would yeah, pretty next. soon is that yeah we're, we're gonna take this dragon up to Winterfell, Winterfell and, 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 and start frying yeah and so on that same tip what does Danny decide to do with John if she's gone full mad queen yeah. Should probably be hunting this guy as well. Yeah, I think John is not high on her list of allies at the moment. Uh-huh. And yeah, that might be the final confrontation between the two of them. Is right. her saying, you know, you got to go, and John defending himself, or John saying to her, you got to go because you've just destroyed the capital of the continent. Yeah. So, do you think we're unified on the fact that Danny dies? Do you think John actually takes the throne, given that he survives whatever? I have. Ab- I have absolutely no idea who they're going to have on. I mean, we don't even know if the Iron Throne exists anymore. Yeah, I kind of think that the people that sort of placed their bet on there not being an Iron Throne left have suddenly pulled. So I was going to say, suddenly the odds are are shifting um, around there a little bit because 
I feel like he's such a reluctant ruler. I feel like the best resolution for him is to just basically be like, I'm going to head back north and not even to rule Winterfell just because he doesn't want his presence as the supposed heir to this land. There, I think he devotes himself to something akin to the Night's Watch. Farming. I think he becomes a farmer. Yeah, he does the Thanos thing, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Davos might. It'd be kind of funny if Davos introduced democracy. Yeah, that, that would be funny. Now, just before we wrap up here, yeah. um, there were two things. I just wanted to point out that there was foreshadowing of the destruction of the throne in two visions, one in season one and one in season four. And uh-huh. we all thought when we saw those visions that, that what we saw in the ruined throne room was snow. snow and-, and now we're kind of saying, oh, that was actually ashes. Ash. and. Yeah. But I, I did have another take on it that maybe the snow there is metaphorical and maybe it does actually portend Jon Snow assuming the leadership of a ruined throne. I still, I already have made up my mind on what my my theory is. And then the one last sort of little bit is just, we have to sort of be speculating, this is sort of meta-speculating, but uh-huh. on how much of this ending is D.B. Weiss and David Benioff and how much of it is George R.R. R. Martin. Oh, man. Because... I- they have been they have had meetings where yeah. George R. R. Martin has basically said and confirmed a couple of times that he has laid out the major sort of plot points. And you would assume that one of those plot points would be here's the finality of it. Here's who wins. That's a very good question. And I honestly have no idea. I think Martin's relationship to these books has changed yeah. since the show started. I don't know if he's ever going to finish them. I don't know if the man feels he needs to finish them now. Or if fans are deeply unsatisfied with the conclusion. Might invigorate it them. Might in, yeah, it might you know, kick loose some ideas of how to change this up. Yeah. It should be mentioned that the show has deviated even before from what he had written, even before they sort of got a, got ahead of the books. Totally. You know, there there's just several characters that either do or do not appear that are pretty sort of like actually sort of critical to his narrative of the story. And it also should be mentioned that George is a sort of organic writer. He's you know, he doesn't have a very sort of detailed outline, and that's why his stories kind of meander and actually sort of create some sort of you yes know, that beautiful, is one word for it beautiful moments i think i think it's also one of the reasons why we have such great sort of character development because he's sure. seeing what makes the most sense and what he feels like these characters would do in that moment and ultimately that might be what sort of doomed the show in some respects because suddenly you have the show trying to fill in what might become really critical details yeah. and losing a lot of that stuff Well, that's it for this episode of Win or Die, analyzing Game of Thrones, the final season. We will be back next week with a presumably fairly long discussion of how this all shakes out. Yeah, it's going to be the the thing that I still feel like is that I just still don't know what is going to happen. And that is still kind of exciting. Yeah, totally. Thanks very much for listening. Winter Die is hosted by Joe Gross and Phil Jankowski and produced, engineered, and edited by Jan Alexander for Austin 360, the Austin American Statesman, and Gatehouse Media. 
This episode of Win or Die is brought to you by Alamo Drafthouse. For handcrafted cocktails, chef-driven menus, and programming ranging from the classics to the latest Marvel action, all with zero talking or texting interruptions, there's only one place to go. Alamo Drafthouse, the best film, food, and drink all in one seat. For movies and showtimes, visit drafthouse.com.